This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Uh, it's Monday. It's seven ten. That means we're going to talk a little bit of sports with Don Robertson, who joins us this evening, dressed as the Elephant Man. That's uh, nice of you to come in in costume. Oh wait, sorry, that's uh, no costume tonight, Don. Same as yours. <laughs> uh, Hey, what was, what was your best costume as a kid? You, I mean, it's, it's been a few years, but do you remember what your best costume was that you ever went out with for Halloween as a kid? Probably a cowboy. Yeah? Not very creative. <laughs> well, I was lived, just looking for the, candy, the country. candies. That's right. It was it was nine miles from door to door uphill <laughs> all the walk. So you had to take a horse. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was before global warming, there was usually snow. That was one of the things, always. Don't you remember when you were a kid and Halloween rolled around and you would spend weeks working on a costume, planning it out, and then you would get to Halloween, you had to wear your parka on top because <laughs> it was Kind of ruined the whole event, with, didn't it? With a toque over whatever hat or face makeup you had. Yes, it's... Uh, My parents used to own the general store in Linden, so Halloween started about three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Just so people could get there? Yeah. My parents owned a candy store. Halloween wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> Yeah, we we used to live at this one place, um, and by about grade seven or eight, we got clever enough because we lived in a, it was a downtown area, so the houses were reasonably close together. And some friends and I got clever enough that we actually planned out that we had three different costumes each. <laughs> and so we would. I remember kids like you. We would sprint the neighborhood with our pillowcase for a bag, do all the houses in the area that we could run back, dump our candy, switch costumes, and go do all the same houses again, and then do it a third time. And we were the first ones out and the last ones in. You know what I call that? Bad parenting. (laughs) And I'm sure your parents are wonderful people, but Uh, they slipped up there. I don't know what they were, um, I don't know what they were doing when we were doing that. I, you know... they were probably stuck at the door handing it out while we slipped out the side door, you probably were re- confusing them. Restocking everything Restock- for them. Well, no, hiding it so they didn't restock from us. I will say, though, that we had, there was a pecking order. I'm sure for everybody listening, they had this. There was the pecking order of the houses on the street. There was always one house in our area that handed out not just the full-size chocolate bars. They handed out the, the large like the, the ones that were like two bucks at the store then, like the big chocolate bars, which was always, okay, we're starting there. That, that's, that's point A. In the, but there was the Apple people. Didn't like them. No. That was a waste. There were the uh, people who had the uh, bag of popcorn that they yeah. had popped at home. We were not eggers, but if I had been throwing eggs at houses, that's where it would have gone. The, uh, the guys just started putting needles in the apples. I, I, know, I didn't want anybody to get... Uh, to bite into a, a, a pen, but it certainly got rid of the apples. It's true. But the one that I never understood, the one Halloween candy, to this day, I still don't get it. It's a wrapped brown, it looks like caramel. It's got like orange and oh, black and white. God awful uh, orange I, and black wrapped. Yep. That are Halloween wrapped. Bad toffee. I never understood what that was supposed to be. What Was it toffee? I think it was, was toffee it? that went bad, and they rewrapped it and gave it out <laughs> once a year. I could never understand what flavor that was, but I did know that if you ate one of those before bed, you would wake up in the morning with it still in your teeth, because that stuff would Or your ne- fillings in, <laughs> in the rest of the uh, candy. If you, know, you were, no senior citizen would ever touch those things, because if it got stuck in their dentures, they were done. They had to go to the dentist. I, I, I always have a comment on your um, quiz question and, and seldom weighed in on it, but when you said everybody knows that Halloween is the short form, I didn't know Halloween was a short form for anything. Really? I thought it was candy night. 
<laughs> it's old Latin it. for candy That's night. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yes. If if you're out there handing out those um, nondescript, indescribable brown Halloween wrapped faux toffee things, though, and in the garage listening to this show. As the, yeah. uh, as the dad is, ha, has the fridge in the garage handy to serve the kids. Frantically sending your spouse out to the store going, get something else. We don't know what these things are. <laughs> or or the, the other one that was always bad was the, the loose handful of those uh, candy corns. Just a thump in the bottom of the bag. So you would dump everything out and there would always be about 30 of those little candy corns flying around loose in there. That you dumped out of the pillowcase. And Yes, exactly. And, then, and those also often went, I mean, they were your last resort. Once they were, you had they were blown, usually pretty stale by the time you yeah, went but to the once, dentist. Once you had blown through all the sugar and you were desperate for sugar, I mean, three days after Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents peeling you off the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. As you were running laps around the neighborhood because you had 14 pounds of raw sugar in your system. Uh, those were the fallback. Oh, man, it's, it's gotten bad. I'm down to the, uh, the candy kernels. <laughs> That's, that was your fallback position. So anyway, if you're, if the best part though, if you're a parent now of a very young child, one thing we learned when our kids were very young, they get to do all the work for you now. And you just get to, when they go to bed, you just get to pick all the Cherry good pick. stuff. Cherry pick. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And send them to school with the cor- the kernels. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's all that was left. Toronto Maple Leafs, um, getting to sports, getting to why you're here. Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs play the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night. Um, interesting matchup because of a whole lot of reasons, because of Connor McDavid, because of Austin Matthews, because two young teams, two teams rebuilding, Cam Talbot, Caledonia, Caledonia guy who now lives in Ancaster. All these, all these things make for a great storyline. Toronto Maple Leafs, though, are at the opposite end of the standings. Edmonton's second place overall in the league right now. It's early. Toronto is very near the bottom, has two wins this year. Edmonton obviously is thrilled with the way they've started. What do you think the Leafs are thinking about how they've started? I think they're pretty happy. Um, the Edmonton Oilers are about three or four years ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the very similar programs. The Toronto or the Edmonton Oilers um, got rid of Taylor Hall, um, who's a Russian, uh, Yakupov. So they realized that some of these young guys had to be either dealt for different kind of parts, like they got a quality defenseman for Hall, and some changes need to be made. And the Toronto Maple Leafs will go through that, but they're not there yet. But I I find them rather exciting to watch. Excitement with young players generally doesn't end well because they don't play the game as well without the puck. But I think for the most part, Toronto Maple Leaf fans are quite happy with what they see. See, I, I actually, I mean, I, not only do I agree with you, I think this is ultimately the best possible outcome for the Maple Leafs, the way things are going. I think they would be thrilled if this happened all year long. Show some improvement, show some flashes, show some signs that your team has some pieces that you can actually build on and build some hope, but still finish in the bottom two or three so you get another great draft pick in the next draft. Another, just another really good piece to throw into the mix. And then next year you really start to see some some signs that things are going to improve. I, I I think the Leafs would be delighted if they got another top three pick this year. Well, their fans have certainly been trained to watch them lose, and now they can watch them lose with some optimism. 
with some purpose. Yeah. They, it's the they, first time they've actually had purpose They in can losing. pull it off. I mean, they said they're going to bottom out and rebuild. They've got the, clearly the best player in the draft who's going to be a phenom. He's going to rival Connor McDavid, although he's don't think he's going to be Connor McDavid. But, uh, you know, a close replica of Connor McDavid slash Wayne Gretzky is never a bad thing. And they've got some great building parts. So, like I said, they're used to losing. It's been going on for since about 93. And uh, and that was their most recent big success. You know, Pat Quinn took them uh, a couple times to the, almost to the promised land and things were all exciting. But you knew it couldn't be uh, it couldn't be long term because some of the guys were long in the tooth so their window was very short and then it collapsed after that i still never god bless pat quinn but i still never understood not letting him be the gm but that one of the multiple mistakes they've made over the last 20 years i mean they make they make a good decision then they make a bunch of bad ones and i think they've got things straightened out they've spent some money in their hockey department i think hunter's a great addition into that mix um, Lou Lamorello can kind of steady the steady the ship, and I think he's prepared to listen to the young guys. Babcock can clearly coach, and I think they're on the right track. So it will be perfectly acceptable if they, you know, mess the bed up again this year and get a decent pick. You're right. You mentioned Pat Quinn, of course, Hamilton guy, and you and has an arena named after him. Yes, he does. Uh, and one of the two coaches recently who has had success here, along with Pat Burns. And the interesting thing about the two coaches, if you, well, go back to 67 if you want to punch Imlac. What does every successful Maple Leaf coach have? There is one constant, there is one thing in common that every successful Maple Leaf coach has had. And I'm talking about someone in his lineup. A great goalie. Goalies. Johnny Bauer. Johnny Bauer, Terry Sawchuk. Terry Sawchuk in 67. When Pat Felix comes along, Felix Potban, then Grant Fuhr. Or Grant Fuhr, then Grant... And then Cujo, and then Eddie Belfour with Pat Quinn. And I look at these, and it's like, you know what? It, it's no surprise why coaches are good coaches. And I'm now looking, we talked about the Edmonton Oilers at the other end of the spectrum, and we mentioned Cam Talbot, local guy. The Canadian Press has a story that moved today saying, forget Connor McDavid, don't forget him, but the reason Edmonton has started the way they have, the most important reason why the Edmonton Oilers are off to a good start is Cam Talbot. Do you agree with that? I certainly think it's a huge ingredient, but I think it's the way they're playing now. I think they're playing better. I think their players have matured, and I think they're a better hockey team because goalies as a standalone unit can win you games you shouldn't win. Or keep you in games that you maybe should be blown out of. Right, but then it doesn't put you in first place. So the structure around Talbot is is much better. Talbot has certainly risen to the occasion without question. But when you look at Dubnik who's now in Minnesota, and he couldn't stop this table we're sitting at when he played in Edmonton. So he didn't just become a miraculous goaltender after he left. Edmonton had a dreadful system. The only time they came in their own zone was for face-offs, the forwards. So Talbot is dining out on more responsible team defensively, better forwards that will pay a price when they come back, and it's probably no secret about the two guys I talked about when they got rid of. They probably said... This won't work defensively. We've got to make some decisions. So Talbot's seizing an opportunity, but I think if you talk to him, and I haven't read the article, he'll tell you the structure in front of him is better. But he is a pretty good goaltender. Everybody, I think, I, I would hope that everybody in Hamilton would know the story of Cam Talbot. It's a guy. He's a guy who never got drafted by the OHL. 
played for the Hamilton Red Wings when they were here, who actually got cut from the Hamilton Red Wings, and then they went and called him back when a goalie left. Um, only got one scholarship offer for NCAA to University of Alabama, Alabama Huntsville, yeah. uh, the hotbed yeah. of hockey in the States. Uh, never got drafted into the NHL. Got one contract offer coming out of the NHL or coming out of his college, and that was to the AHL, not even an NHL team. The Rangers offered, signed him. The Hartford Wolfpack signed him, and became really good in the AHL, got his chances in the NHL, and then signed as a free agent in Edmonton. If there is a guy that you want as a local athlete to root for, Camp Talbot is the guy that fits the bill perfectly of a guy who, you know, every athlete says, well, nothing was ever handed to me. This is the guy that nothing was ever handed to, and you look at where he is now, and he signed a nice contract and all the rest, and he's one of those guys that you honestly, you look at and you say, how can you not be happy for a guy like that? I know NHL players make a ton of money, and we all go, oh, they're all rich and blah, blah. If there's one guy that has just scratched and clawed to get that opportunity and you want to cheer for somebody, that's Cam Talbot. It was a pretty circuitous route that he took, and what makes it more difficult for the route that Talbot took was... He doesn't have a scout in his corner that was in the draft room saying, we got to have this kid, and constantly says, you got to give him another chance, you got to give him another chance. He went over top of those goaltenders that the scouts selected and bullied his way into a position to get on the New York Rangers and excel. So it's, it's a and lot And he signed more... with a team that already had Henrik Lundqvist. So you're signing with a team that you know probably you're never going to get a chance to play for. Now, Lundqvist got hurt for a little bit. He, but basically, he took the spot knowing that I'm not being the starter here, but I can give myself a chance. When you went that route, you're just looking for the big payday and the per diem, riding around on private jets. I mean, he was probably living the life of Riley thinking, if nothing else ever happens to me, this is great. You're right. Then they handed him the baton, and away he went, and he proved he could play the, play the game. And... Boy, you know, it is, it's a wonderful story. But like I said, when you haven't got scouts in there cheering for you, it's a tougher route than you think it is to get there. Why? I, it, because, well, it, it, what's the purpose? I mean, if a scout isn't in your corner, why wouldn't he be in your corner? Well, he wasn't drafted. So? Well, the scouts obviously have drafted some goaltenders, and so there's two things that happen. All of a sudden, you got a guy that's playing well in the American League, and you're going to call him up. Well, you're going to call him up because the guys that you've drafted are playing in the East Coast League in the American League behind Talbot. So to support Talbot, you have to admit that you screwed up all your goaltending draft picks. So you haven't got anybody in your corner. So scouts and, and general managers who draft guys are going to give the guys they draft chance after chance after chance because that's their reputation on the line. Well, the guys the guys that get drafted in the first two or three rounds, there's been scouts stick their neck out on. They've had scouting meetings saying, we've got to get that Radley kid. There was it, never a scouting meeting that said that. <laughs> well, uh, Josh Juris. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, another one. And, and there's, so there's nobody in the corner saying, let's give that Juris another chance. And the guys are going, no, the guys we drafted, if they keep signing guys that we haven't drafted, we're not going to have a job long. So it's it's the same as coaches coaching not to lose. These guys that draft guys, if, if their guys all look like clunkers year after year after year, you know, they are they turn into scouts for the real McCoys. Don't want to do that. When is your next game, by the way? Your first home game is this Friday, right? Friday night, kids' night against the, uh, the world-famous Hamilton Steelhawks. 
and uh, we're looking forward to it. It's always a big night, and and uh, it's this Friday, so any kids that don't get delivered tickets through their school, because we have a number of sponsors that have bought kids' tickets so kids can come to the game, so we can provide the, the uh, game night passes to them. Uh, they'll be distributed yesterday and today. And if your school was not on that list or your kid loses it in his lunch bag, you can come and pick up a ticket and... We're going to give out all kinds of prizes. The first 100 kids get a pizza pizza slice coupon, and we're going to have a, a bike draw, and it's always fun opening night, and there'll be a million kids running around the rink. That would be Friday night at the Greitmeyer Arena on Market Street in Dundas, the Dundas Real McCoy. So. Jail Greitmeyer, 730 versus the Hamilton Steelhawks, and uh, it sure will be a lot of fun. It will be tons of fun. Take a transistor radio, listen to this show while you're watching the Real McCoys live in person. I see a lot of people doing that. I have one on the bench. <laughs> That's I would hope you would. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. If you're wandering around, hope you're gathering tons and tons and tons of candy with your young children that you can put them to bed and then steal all of it, or at least all the good stuff. And You know, that's how it works. That's, the, that's why you have kids. That's why you have kids. You have kids... So that eventually they'll be able to do the chores around the house, shovel the driveway, cut the lawn, and do the Halloween candy reconnaissance for you so you have a supply for most of November. Well, you're not doing your job if it lasts you most of November. Well, it depends how much. Yeah, I guess it depends how much you've been doing. But uh, Don, the World Series is on. As I hope everybody knows, uh, it is kind of a historic series. Cleveland hasn't won since 1948. Chicago hasn't won since 1908. Somebody's going to break that. I can't, I mean, even though Cleveland's up, I just can't believe that Cleveland could actually have two championships in one year. I am truly afraid that if that were to happen, that signifies the end of the world. Not really sure, but... Well, the Browns aren't going to win anything. No, that's true. Well, they're going to win the first overall draft pick (laughs) because they're going to go winless this year by the looks of it. But one of the things that is coming very evident in baseball, these playoffs, is the way bullpens are being used. There was a, first of all, there was a time when we didn't even use bullpens. I, I shouldn't say we. It was before my day. It was before I was born, when starters went nine innings and, and that was three it. of them. And they went every, about every three or four days until their arm fell off. But then you start having guys, you have Goose Gossage and you have Dennis Eckersley as they come along, and you have Raleigh Fingers and these guys who become closers. But it's still eight innings now, plus the closer. And then you get more and more. This playoff, last playoff with Kansas City and the year before, was really a change in how bullpens were used because it was very heavily bullpen. Get Get four, five innings if you're needing it from your starters. Now... We're putting in closers in the fifth inning. We got stuff happening. Is this a fad, do you think, in baseball? Or the way baseball is played and the way managers mimic success, is this what we're going to be seeing now until someone else comes up with a better idea? I don't know the answer to the question, but I have a theory. First of all... uh Back in the early 90s when the Toronto Blue Jays were winning World Series whenever they, you know, got close and they were always exciting, Dwayne Ward pitched the eighth and Tom Hinkie pitched the ninth. So your starters only had to go seven. 
And if they were going strong, Cetogasin would likely still take them out. If they had lots of energy, lots lots left in the tank, according to the pitch count, and Jack Morris every once in a while would get into the ninth. But routinely, you, your starters only went to the seventh. And I think that um, especially what Cleveland are doing, but what you see is people that have good bullpens are doing it. If you try and mimic that with a weak bullpen, you're going to get blown out of a lot of games. So, you know, the Blue Jays have got some guys that can go deep into the um, – they've got good starters. they got strong guys or young guys. So I, I think, you know, as much as everybody mimics everybody in the coaching department, if you haven't got the horses in the bullpen, it won't work for you. So it works for these guys. I'm not sure it'll work for everybody. And you can't make chicken salad out of chicken feathers. So the ones that try it that don't have the horses are going to be in huge trouble. But if you've got a good starting lineup, I think even in Toronto, you're only going to have to go seven. The days of, I I don't know, because I never know what we're going to talk about before I get here, but research would probably indicate there are very few guys in the National League and the American League that go nine. I don't think the Jays had a complete game this year. They, until until um, they were one they were one out short in a game near the end of the year I believe and uh, Gibbons took them out mm-hmm. and it would have been their only complete game of the year so that's how unusual it is and he didn't even tempt fate I hope uh, I'll be honest with you I hope that what we've seen from Kansas City and now what we're seeing from Cleveland I really hope this is not what managers start to do. Although I fully suspect that many of them will try to do this. First of all, they don't all have an Andrew Miller, as you point out. You need the guys to be able to do it. They don't all have the guys, and you know they don't have the guys that Kansas City had last year. They don't have the guys Cleveland has. They don't have an Aroldis Chapman like Chicago pitched him for two and a third innings, two and two thirds innings yesterday. But success in every sport leads to imitators, and I think you're going to see this. And I think what, you know, baseball has worked very hard to try to speed up the games. And if you now start to see managers who are essentially now saying, you know what, if we can get four and a third, four and two thirds out of our starters, and then we're going to just go with a bunch of relievers and bring in nine different guys every game, it is going to take forever to play baseball games. It really is. It really is. And not only that, Unless you are a true aficionado of baseball or can appreciate the odd one, you like hitting over pitching. Most fans would prefer to see a game that's 10-9 than 1-0. Occasionally 1-0 is fine if a pitcher is just real, if two pitchers are really on fire. But well, that, that stretches the game out. Yeah, but it's exciting stretching out. It's not watching guys warm up. So you don't mind them being long as long as they're long. If there's a reason. As long as they're long the way you want it to be long. No, because... If pitching pitching makes the games longer and they're 2-1 games... No, a 2-1 game... That's a reason. A 2-1 game will rarely be long. The reason a game would be extended is because you're scoring a lot of runs, or as I'm talking, the thing that will kill baseball, I think, if it's stretched out, is because you're not actually playing the game. You're walking out, the manager is spending all the time walking out to the mound, changing pitchers, bringing in a new guy, warming him up, 
throws one batter, manager walks out, changes the pitcher. That's if you're if if the game is dragging out because guys are getting hits and home runs, people that's fine. That's action, that's excitement. Nobody has ever paid that I know of to watch a manager, to watch Buck Showalter walk out to the mound. They're not the quickest guys in the world, do they? Saunder no. out there. And and so I just look at this and I think, you know what? I, most people would rather see offense. I think. I really believe. Most people would rather, most days, would rather see offense. And the other thing is you start just bringing in guy after guy after guy who is throwing 97 miles an hour out of the bullpen. All who's fresh, that's going to drive offense right down. And and look, look at Roger Center for the last couple of years. I know it's because the Blue Jays are winning, but it's a young audience. And if you if you kill the joy of baseball out of the young audience who want to see, what do you think has made the Blue Jays so appealing besides the fact that they have won yeah. last year, not this year we just had, but the year home before. Runs. They were they were batting it out of the park all the Everybody time. Everybody loves a home run. And if, if you're going to now be <clears throat> drumming offense out of the game because the pitchers are just, it's a parade every game of guys throwing 97, 98 miles an hour and they're facing one or two batters. I love baseball. I will turn the channel and stop watching that stuff when you get into the bullpens. Baseball might be one of those sports so you can flip back and forth on. It is the easiest sport in the world to I'm going to flip over and watch something else and check back in to see how it's going. And and uh, I think with the advent of the converter, boy, I sound like I'm dating myself, but the fact that you can sit on the couch and not flip or you can flip the channels, I think there's more of that in baseball than there is any other sport. I'm waiting for the first manager, honestly, I'm waiting for the first manager who comes out of spring training saying we're not having any starters. <laughs> Listen, somebody's going some manager who doesn't have a strong starting staff. We, nobody would have ever guessed that we would have had closers coming in in the 5th inning just to do what is what Francona is doing now. I'm waiting for the first manager who says we're not going to have starters. We have got we're going to go with 13 pitchers. They're all going to take turns starting. And we're going to go with a 13-man rotating situation and guys are going to go one inning at a time. And you'll pitch two days, and then you'll be off the third day, and we're just going to go one inning. And you know what? You're never going to get to see the same pitcher twice in a game. One inning, and you're one inning, one inning, and you watch. Uh, Somebody, because they've tried everything else, somebody will try this just to see what happens. You know, Maybe not this year. Maybe not next year. You know, if I didn't know that I spill more than you actually drink, I'd think you were hammered. (laughs) It somebody will do it. it, and it may not even be in the major leagues. But I'm I'm telling you, the way that the bullpens are being used now, and the way Francona is using Miller and these guys in these playoffs in situations, just let's bring a fresh guy in. And Kansas City did last year. Somebody is going to go with the idea. Is going to test it. Let's just have everybody throw an inning. The, one of the you bring up Miller again. One of the things I like about Miller is he turns into wild thing every once in a while. And there's one goes one just takes off on him. Well, he's six foot eight, and he's like a giant water spider. There's pieces moving in every direction. One of them's bound to go awry. But how do you dig in with a guy that's that Mm -hmm. big, whose release is about four inches from where you are when he lets it go, and it sails over everybody's head? And he doesn't hit. He doesn't hit the cow. Do you remember the all the All Star game? We got to go to break. But you remember the All Star game a couple a few years ago, not a couple years ago, when Randy Johnson was pitching to Larry Walker. And Larry Walker would not dig in on his side of the box, and he turned his batting helmet around backwards and stood on the other side because he did, didn't want to have anything to do because Johnson was particularly wild at that time, and it was effective because he scared the living snot out of everybody because yeah. 
if if Larry if if Randy Johnson lets go of one and he doesn't know where it's going, you're in a lot of trouble. And a hundred mile an hour pa- a fastball does not. I don't care if you're being paid twenty million dollars a year. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't well, feel good. You knew he didn't know where it was going when the even umpires hits, decided to stand behind him to call it like the yeah, old. Even days. if it hits you in the wallet, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> but you know, and you know who found that out? Go online and look up Randy Johnson and the bird. Randy Johnson threw a pitch one time right down the middle and in one of the greatest flukes of time and space in the continuum and a bird flew right through the strike zone as Randy Johnson was pitching and the ball and the bird arrived at the same spot at the same time and I'm not kidding you. Go look online. I've never seen that. The bird is instantly not only dead but fully defeathered <laughs> in an instant and so, the poor batter has just about had an aneurysm he didn't know what was going all of a sudden there's an explosion in so front as, of him. A, as a former referee is it a ball or strike what's the call uh i would say it's a foul ball <laughs> <Boom, boom. laughs> quick break back after this you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from seven to nine on am 900 chml all right, Don, I'm going to uh, bring this up. If uh, the, there are Ticat fans listening, this may trigger some traumatic response. So, um, you know, trigger warning. Isn't that what they say now? Trigger warning for uh, for someone that, something that may set people off. Last two games, I believe it's the last two or two of the last three, when the game was over a day or two later, the CFL has issued an apology for a controversial mistaken call that went against the Ticats. Now, this week's game... The call really didn't, I don't think, have an over, an impact in the outcome of the game. The game was essentially decided. It just was didn't look great. But this is a league right now that is dealing with an awful lot of controversy when it comes to its officiating. It does, it is getting hammered from a lot of corners about the officiating and some mistakes that have been made. But the truth is, and you were an official for a long time, is there really... I know we'd like to have perfection. We'd all like to have perfection. Is there really, if you're not going to pay these guys as full-time officials, is there really anything you can do to make this that much better, honestly? Well, you have to take the quantum leap that there's a bunch, if if you're talking about they're not paying them enough because they're not full-time. It's not about paying them enough. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much they're paying them. They're paying them by the game, but you either pay them as full-time guys so they can concentrate solely on football or you pay them on the per-game basis which they are right now and they have other jobs and they're not full-time on football. Well, part of that equation would have to assume that there's there, there's a lot of good officials out there that that aren't doing it because the pay isn't good enough and they they can't leave their full-time job. So, they're not going to the CFL or they get there and say, I'm going to go on to something else and they retire at a young age. I don't think that's probably happening. I think one of the things that is always a challenge now for any official at in any professional sport is there's a camera on everybody's helmet and shoes and you're, you're scrutinized to the point where it's almost impossible to be right. Now, some of the things that they're monkeying up are more common sense and shouldn't be screwed up. But it's 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 a difficult business to want to get in now because your errors will be caught. And in the old days when uh, legendary people like Jake Ireland were refereeing, you know, they, 
I'm sure they got together and said, wow, I'm glad there isn't four cameras on that play because you you could get away with more. Do you think referees today in the CFL, NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, wherever, do you think officials today are better or worse than they were once upon a time? I think they're better than they've ever been. I really do. I think they're better trained. I think they're understanding of the game more. And I think it's more diff- every sport is more difficult because of the athletes that are involved in them. And, uh, and I think it was a kinder, more gentle era when Bruce Hood and Bob Myers and were refereeing and Jake Ireland. <laughs> Except, of course, for the bench-clearing brawls. <laughs> well, they, they, they were always entertaining, and that's what they had to live through. But can you imagine if there was, like every game in National Hockey League is televised now. All the CFL games are televised. In the old days, all the games weren't televised in the CFL. So not only were there not a lot of cameras, there were very few. And if you have a close call on the field, you get one look at it from a great distance. I mean, as a fan. Yeah. Now now everything is a close-up, super slow motion, 4K. Well, that's what I mean. It's so scrutinized. I mean, you can, you, can, you can pick out nose hairs on the linemen, for heaven's sakes, if you're interested. But you, that's, that's how detailed it is. And I think you would, if you talk, you get Ron Foxcroft on here, he's going to tell you how different it's been since he did his gold medal game in the Olympics in Montreal. So what's the answer? Because the the the, the point you have is to keep it humanized. Because you but need they're trying to, everything not to do that. They're with all the replay and the replay center and everything now. They're doing everything possible not to humanize officiating. It's still got to be there. There's some judgment. I I know what you're saying, and I think that they probably do too much of this, and the the officials are at a disadvantage because you know the coaches are listening to the headphones. You saw Gibbons do it on a play at second base, or you know um, Austin's listening, saying. You know that was offside. There was interference. Throw your throw your flag, and there's probably too much of it when you talk. We talked about slowing down baseball, or you did earlier in the in the show, and uh, there can be too much of it, and it starts to ruin the game. Sure, it does. I I, I I was watching a few minutes of the game. It is a little more sterile than I'd like to see it. Last much. night, I think it was last night's game, and there was a play at first base, and you know in baseball you talk about the bang bang, bang play. play yeah. This was not even bang bang. This was bang bang. I mean, it was it was so close that I defy any human being to be able to actually tell what exactly happened. But as an as an umpire, you're going on your history, you're going on your experience. You saw something, and I mean, Don, it was it was we're talking in the span of milliseconds. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, the call was overturned. It was the wrong call. But there's not a human being alive that would not have made that call. Because of the angle you're at, because of everything else, it's just absolutely impossible. And yet, like, I, I, officials make mistakes. And sometimes they make horrible mistakes. And we all understand that. But I tend to be on the side that, you know what? It's just, I'm with you. It's reached the point where we have, we, because of replay, we've grown to accept, expect perfection, absolute perfection even on calls that no human could possibly make accurately, knowing they made it accurately. And then when you get one of these ones that's overturned, because when you've zoomed in on 4K detail and made it down to five frames per 10 seconds, well, sure, you got it wrong. I I just, I mean, as I say, I'm not, there have been some of these bad mistakes in the CFL 
and they have pointed them out, and people go, oh, you know what, the, the, the officials are, are awful. There are horrible mistakes. Again, I understand that. But, boy, I, I go back to what I've always said. Either have live officials and live with what they're doing, or have robots and cameras and have no human officials and just have it done by computer. But when you mix the two of them together, it's just a recipe for everyone to be unhappy. Just what it is. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.